You're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. You can judge a good book by its cover You can't tell, dear, if it's good or bad The cover may be in the brightest color But inside the story may be sad Pretty pictures make the cover gay Though the pages may be stained with age You can judge a book, dear, by its cover Till you've read what's written on each page Good evening and welcome to The Bike Show here on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Jack Thurston and Jen Kerrison. We're going to be talking books this evening. There are dark clouds in the heaven Doesn't always mean that it will rain Just because you see somebody smiling Doesn't mean inside there is no pain So it doesn't matter what you hear Don't believe Till you know it's true You can judge a book, dear, by its cover Till you've read the story through and through Well, I don't know about you, Jen, but I always judge a book by its cover. I like a job, judge a bicycle by its paint job how about you absolutely jack i do exactly the same i'm afraid to admit we ought not to we ought to judge the internal contents of books and to help us in our quest to be better uh, readers and better selectors of books we have in the studio tim dawson cycling columnist of the sunday times and editor of the excellent cycling books review and uh, catalogue website welcome to the show and carlton reed of bike hub um if you've been around in cycling um or read anything in cycling in in the uk or perhaps perhaps even further afield you will know the name of carlton reed so it's great to have you on the bike show Uh, good to be actually in the studio with you as well jack great okay we have a list of books that you may or may not want to put into those christmas stockings this year and we're going to try and rattle through them um but before we do that i'm going to ask the two guests here does cycling create more books than other sports or interests is there something about cycling and reading that go together carlton there's certainly a lot of magazines. And if there's a lot of magazines, there's going to be an awful lot of journalists out there who are clearly going to have books in them. So quite a few people who you've got on the, the list in front of us here are journalists in, uh, in the, the field of cycling. And uh, they have lots of things to say. And internationally, there's lots of magazines. So the answer to your question is, yes, cycling well, does seem to have more than its fair share of publications. That explains the output side, that there's lots of journalists writing about these things. But what about the people actually stump up the money to buy these things? 
there are people. I mean, there are quite a lot of cycling books recently that have sold in really decent numbers. Um, some of the better biographies of uh, racing heroes of recent years have been selling sixty or seventy thousand copies, which is very credible. You know, in a books industry that, that's slightly squeezed in other sectors, I think the number of books being published certainly has risen dramatically over the past decade. Um, some of those aren't selling, but some of them are selling very credibly. But Jen. You came here tonight on a Babylonian transport. I did. I nearly got stuck and didn't make it to the show. It. You came on. Pu- you came on public transport, which is a great place to read, isn't it? You can't read on your bike commute to work, whereas you can read on the tube or on the bus. Indeed, and it intrigues me what makes cyclists such avid readers about cycling, because uh, you're on your bike, and like Jack said, you're not reading. But what what makes us bigger readers of bu- of books about our sport than any of the other sports. I don't know. We have got some big personalities in the sport. So a lot of the, the books, which Tim was talking about there, the, the, the big books that have been... Uh, they got won awards for a start because the, the personalities that uh, Richard Moore, for instance, was talking about are these huge, huge personalities that transcend cycling. You know, there's lots of, obviously, drugs, but there's also extramarital affairs. There's just so much personality oozing out some of these really, really big, um, certainly continental cycle stars. And you can read about them till the, the cows come home. Well, let's turn to our first pairing of books. These are, the, these are a couple of books that are for, you know, your, your bicycling friend or, or member of the family who, who is really into it, you know, who... who uh, can devour enormous amounts of detail. Bicycle Technology by Rob van der Plaer is a sort of bible of, of how bicycles work. And, and I, I, I was thinking about it this morning. I think even if you'd spent a lifetime maintaining bikes professionally, it's a book from which you could still get things, things about the way in which the metals are made, things about the way in which rubbers are made, things about the way in which technological developments have driven the design of bicycles. It's, it's, it's a book that you can return to again and again and again. Fantastically illustrated, big, big hardback that's fantastically produced. Um, I, I can't imagine a cyclist wouldn't be delighted to receive it at Christmas. How long has it been out? Is it a new book or is it one of those ones that gets perennially updated? It, it's been through several um, iterations. Uh, it's, it's now in its most spectacular format ever. And I think even if you had a, uh, an older one, or, or in fact, I mean, Rob van der Plaas has written many books about cycle maintenance. Uh, bicycle technology in its current edition still has something for you. You've read this one, Carlton. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's one of those coffee table books, isn't it? You dip into it when you need to dip it. I certainly dip into these kind of books when I need to know about, you know, carbon composites, right? What, what's, the, what's the Bible say about this? Carlton, how often do you need to know about carbon composites? Uh, <laughs> well, I write about them quite frequently. Oh, right, of course. So there will be times when I'm, right, OK, so what, what's the actual terminology I've got to use here? Of course, Before, right. Because I, I get phone calls from Mike Burroughs. Every single time the magazine comes out, I'll get a phone call. And if I get anything technically wrong... He'll tell me. You know, he, he's, of course, got a, a, a very good tech book as well. And so between those two books, then I'll be looking for, right, what's the right way of saying that? So does it aid understanding as well as giving you the right terminology? Uh, both books are quite opinionated. And uh, if anybody's ever met or read anything from Mike Burroughs, you would know he's a very opinionated guy. And opinionated people are fascinating people to, to, to read, even if you don't actually believe or trust what they say, just the way they say it and the passion they've got. So both Rob and uh, Mike. So there's, 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 you've got the, the, the UK and the, the, the American coverage of bike technology there between those two very idiosyncratic books. Terrific. It's an expensive book. Um, 
twenty-five pounds. I think you'll pay for it. In this okay, country. that's not that's not that's not so bad. Um, at a little bit less than that, I think twenty pounds, or probably discounted um, on certain <laughs> online retailers, is Cyclopedia. Um, the book that documents the amazing bicycle collection of Michael Embacher, who is an architect, not a cycling specialist, but he just loves bicycles. And in a sense, he's become a specialist because of his collection of beautiful bikes. Um, these are wonderfully photographed, aren't they, Tim? He, ha- he has this remarkable collection, I think 200 bicycles or so, which he has stored. Very fortuitously, his apartment in Vienna had an open, uh, had an unused piece of roof space, and he appealed to his landlord, who said, yes, you can create this kind of little cycling museum there. So they're all laid out as an absolutely amazing collection that he bought on eBay and sort of scoured the world for. And, you know, they're just, some of them are so beautiful, some of them are so extraordinary they were ever ridden they're so mm. peculiar um it, it's a feast for the eyes does he ride them he does he does he takes little he and his wife go for little circumnavigations of vienna he tells me uh, so yeah i think that, i mean they're all in and, and he has a, a a mechanic who comes in weekly to keep them all fine-tuned is it for public viewing can anyone go and see this little bicycle museum I don't believe it is, although oh, right. he seemed to think that if anybody contacted him and was particularly keen to see it, then he'd be generous with I his think time. If you get yourself to Vienna and, um, you know... It might be worth the trip, Drop, him, drop him a friendly line, I think Michael might show. He's a very uh, genial guy. I was um, invited to host the uh, the launch party in London at Look Mum No Hands, where he gave a talk and we were sort of in question and answer session about a handful of the bikes. And the nice thing about the collection is that they're his idiosyncratic choices about bikes that he just happened to like. It's not specialised into one particular era. It's got some ridiculous bikes as well as some, you know, that are the peak of, of cycle craft in, in, in a way um, so it's it's surprising as you turn the pages it's not one of those things where you're thinking like okay this is a guy who's just gone out to pick the hundred most historically important bicycles I've, I've got a, a large collection of bikes but you'd never put them in a book they're way too messy they're all they're all used throughout the day I'll be using different bikes so I can imagine a collection that's very clean and say up on a wall I think you've got to be on a a different kind of plane to, to, to want to do that to a bicycle. I, I think they're practical things. I just want to get them muddy. So and bicycle, get them out there. bicycles as art versus bicycles as your daily practical I, I means can, of transport. I can see them as art. I understand why people use them as art and see them as art, but I personally don't get a kick out of that. So if I had a collection of bikes, I would get rid of the ones that weren't actually practical to me at that time. But you can have, you know, minimum of seven bikes, of course, for each different thing that you have to, to ride during the day. Carlton's seven bikes. I can see there's an episode of the bike show um, on that where we'll, we'll ride each of them. I'll come up to a... Well, I've got 25 in the You've garage, got 25. So I'm, okay. I'm getting up to, to Michael's, nearly up to his level. But they're all practical bikes. And some of them belong to your family as well. Right? Uh, yeah, my, my boy's got a cyclocross bike, a mountain bike. Yeah, okay. my kids have got lots of bikes too. Not all mine. <laughs> The highlight of this book is the photography, um, and it's going to be made into an app, um, I'm told by the publishers Thames and Hudson, I think in time for Christmas. I don't know whether people buy apps for people for Christmas. It's kind of a bit of a weird and mean present, isn't it? Here <laughs> is an app. It's a bulging out of what, the uh, what, Christmas stocking on the end. Is there a purpose to the app? What's, what, well, what the app, does one do the with app this? The app allows you to... I mean, I think it's more for the iPad 
than mm. for the for oh, the iPhone right. and, and or a tablet type of computer, I should say, um, where you can spin the bikes around. They've been mm. re-photographed in 3D, um, and you can zoom in and zoom out to an amazing degree of detail. I'm told, and it's quite good for the uh, the collectors who want to see the bikes from every possible angle. And I guess if you're doing a restoration project, it might mm. be interesting if you know you're going down to the bicycle jumble. To, uh, to find a particular gear lever. You might want to see what's the correct one for your, your Rennie hearse that you found in the skip. <laughs> um, there's an interesting publishing angle on this book in that he took the idea to some mainstream publishers several years ago and they all said, no, we don't think this is a good book. Then he went and did it himself, essentially. He found a photographer who took these photos, printed it up, very expensive. He obviously had some you know, money to do that and, and then took the finished book back again to Thames and Hudson I think it was and they were like oh yeah let's go for it this is great he obviously paid for the photography um, out of his own pocket and then Thames and Hudson has gone off gone on and sold 60 to 70,000 copies I think at the moment but it, it's a bit dispiriting isn't it that you know um, that they weren't willing to uh, to front up the money to start with it's a sad reflection of their caution, really. And given that there are quite a lot of other cycling coffee table books which are just pictures of beautiful bikes, none as good as this one, I would say, the fact that someone like Thames and Hudson rejected it, I think, is, I mean, it's, it's a sorry state of their timidity, really. Let's move on to racing. We've got a couple of books here on the list. Um, Tomorrow We Ride by Jean Bobet um, in translation and Slaying the Badger by Richard Moore. Um, let's let's tackle the badger. <laughs> um, this is the story of the 1986 Tour de France when um, Greg LeMond and Bernardino sort of duelled for the top final time. And uh, many regard it, and clearly there is competition for this, but many, many regard it as the most exciting, the most visceral tour there has ever been. Um, Eno had, had previously done or it was why they thought he'd done a deal with Le Monde, that Le Monde helped him the, the pre- previous year, and he would then help Le Monde uh, in that edition. Uh, he appeared to go back on that, and they fought and battled on the um, on, on the slopes of the mountains. Uh, written by Richard Moore, he, he has interviewed both of them at great length, and uh, brings a kind of um, warmth and narrative quality to it, which I think is exceptional. If you, if you have any memories of racing in the 80s, it's a book you will devour. And Racing in the 1950s and, I think, early 60s, Tomorrow We Ride, uh, Jean Bobet, I see this book as the book for people who liked uh, The Rider by Tim Crabbe. They're going to really like this uh, Tomorrow We Ride by Jean Bobet. Um, Jean Bobet was the younger son, uh, younger brother, I'm sorry, younger brother of um, Louis Jean Bobet, who's, you know, they were both top athletes. Obviously, Louis Jean Bobet was the real superstar um, and Jean Bobet, subsequent to his cycling career, went on to become a journalist and so knows how to write. And it's very poetic, isn't it, this book? It's got a great power to it. And it, like you say, I mean, for people who enjoy the rider, I think there's, it, there's a lot in it. It combines the kind of philosophy of the bicycle in a sort of Paul Funel <laughs> style with actual accounts of historic cycling events that he was party to and involved with um, and uh, some of the great moments in the Tour de France in its you know, in its golden era. I think that, I think it's a book that's gone down extremely well with a lot of people. It's certainly, when you put out Carlton on the on the Twitter asking for recommendations, mm. that came up a few times. Didn't it, it did, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's obviously touching on to the the ruler type audience. You know, there's there's a big audience now for these kind of books, this kind of heritage and classy heritage, continental classy heritage of of cycling. There's there's definitely a 
uh, a market niche, than a big market niche. I think it also reveals the fact that there's a more literary style to sports writing in France and Italy. I don't know about other um, continental European countries than perhaps there is in the UK, where in the UK it tends to be a little bit more like a profiling, mm-hmm. a great athlete, telling you how they did it, what they ate, um, rather than trying to tap into something deeper about what, um, you know, what sport tells us about society. I wonder, though, Jack, if that would be true of cycling in in Europe versus cycling in the UK as well. You know, there seems to be a, a lot more of the romanticism around cycling in Europe and, and people who will philosophise for hours over coffee when they're not actually on their bike, whereas it, it appears to me that in England people are on their bikes or not, and it's a lot less romantic over here. Yeah, I think we're yet to find the great Anglo-Saxon work of bicycling philosophy or even sports philosophy I don't don't know Mm, perhaps you're right I mean there are people going way back into the 20s and 30s but not writing today I wouldn't say all right moving on we have um, a couple of books which are a transatlantic you know an American or North American I should say take on the bicycle boom and contemporary bike culture one from the east coast and one from the west coast Tim Amy Walker on Bicycles, I mean, recently published is, I mean, it describes itself as the whole earth catalogue for cycling. The whole earth catalogue was this sort of 1970s countercultural um, sort of guidebook, very much a pre-internet thing, but it has a kind of uh, a slightly earnest but warm North Californian vibe to it. This is a series of, of essays, uh, I think 50 of them, uh, about aspects of cycling culture, which... I, I, it does convey a great warmth and a great enthusiasm for cycling, which I think, particularly if you find more bombastic writers a bit off-putting, um, it, it would be a treat. She, Amy, is the or was for a long time the editor of Momentum she was, uh, magazine. She, she was the founder, one of the, those three founder editor publishers. And that's a very sunny sort of take on on cycling, Commuting. isn't it? Uh, mainly commute sort of cycling. utilitarian, so people yeah. with crazy long bikes with all their kids and their gardening equipment in the front, and and obviously very very good on on women cycling. You know, very strong on that. It was a, it's a free magazine, but you you look at it and you think, how is that free? Because that is so good. It's such a good magazine, and it, of course you can get it on issue.com. Uh, on the web so once they published it, it it goes on there so even across here we can get that mag so if it's all west coast optimism and positivity from amy walker what do we get from the east coast uh new york city and far too much caffeine uh bike stop new york city very very successful as as a blog incredibly acerbic um hypercritical of other cyclists, other road users, himself, with a sort of pantomime cast of characters like Vito the Monkey, who make intros and outros. Turning turning the blog into a book, um, I, I, I found that he'd lost some of his acid uh, ways, but still a complete culture shock compared to Amy Walker. It's very different, for sure, but I agree. It's just, it lost so much. You know, if you're a big fan of the the blog, then it's it's a step down in many ways. I think he was attempting to mainstream, to he's, use that awful word. He sanitised it, I think, yeah. or his publisher sanitised it. It's almost as though he, maybe he just editorialised it down himself, which is a huge shame because that book could have been much, much better. It's great, I think, though, because it caricatures 
certain types of cyclists in the best way that I've ever seen. He's very witty. It's got that kind of, you know, every second sentence there'll be a there'll be a joke like a sort of uh, Tim Moore book or a Bill Bryson book. It's that it's that genuinely funny writing which when when yeah, definitely laugh out loud lying on the sofa as I did when I read it. Um, when it's done badly, that kind of attempt to do that is just painful to read. But I don't think he puts a foot wrong when it comes to the humour side of things. So, Colton, if you say that he's sort of lost it in the book as opposed to the blog, the, he's, his blog has so many followers, doesn't mm. it? What have, How's that been reflected in sales? Has the book sold well? Tim, do you know? I don't, I'm afraid. I think it's done pretty well. It's several reprints. I mean, obviously, mm. we don't know how many editions they uh, they printed for the first time but I think it's done well it took a long time for it to become available in the UK and I think this might be the first Christmas that it's available in the UK and it's not expensive um, if, if, if I think it's good if you haven't actually gone onto the blog then it's very very different and you can get an awful lot out of it but if you are a fan of the blog it's not a book of the blog okay um Let's move on to a, a category that I'm calling specialist history. Um, and we have two books in this, plus one book that doesn't yet exist, but hopefully will exist. Um, Italian cycling and uh, cycle uh, and history of Italy. Yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of uh, histories of the Tour de France, uh, relatively little written, certainly in English, about Italian cycling. Pedlare, Pedlare by John Foote, puts that right, and, and in spe- spectacular style, really, foots the Professor of Modern Italian History at the University College London, and he deals with this sort of whole sweep of, of cycling throughout the 20th century, and it's sort of part in the narrative of Italian life. So there are, there are extraordinary stories of... of um, Gino Bartoli being phoned by the Italian Prime Minister, allegedly to being instructed to win the Tour de France to save Italy from civil strife after the uh, shooting of the communist leader. Uh, there's Enrico Totti, the one-legged cyclist who was adopted by the fascists uh, after he'd been killed in the First World War. I mean, it's, it's a really rich story, um, both of, of the country and its cycling culture. Wow, that sounds good. I, I, mm. I, John Foote, I must confess, is on my uh, to-do list in terms of guests to have on the bike show. So I'm glad to hear that his book um, is a is a palpable hit. It sounds good because the, the, the whole uh, thing about Italian cycling is these cyclists who are doing this, these were farm lads. Mm. You know, in other cultures, in America, for instance, yet they're not farm lads. They're, they're kind of, you know, middle class. Whereas the Italian heroes, these are these are real blood and guts kind of guys. So there's, there's bound to be, I mean, it sounds like some fascinating stories. In and it. Italians are able to read politics into everything, aren't they? You know, and, 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 and identities and, and that kind of thing. So I imagine that comes through in terms of the sport. I mean, it's, you know, it's big for them, isn't it? Well, that's a good book to um, uh, you know, take on a cycling tour of, uh, for, of, of Italy, I would imagine. Um, the next one, we, we're going further back in time to the 19th century. Edwardian England, The Little Black Bottle uh, by Jerry Moore is, the, uh, is a biography of a gentleman called Choppy Warburton, uh, whose name kind of reverberates through cycling history. He was the Edwardian, Edwardian England... If they had combined Alec Ferguson and Simon Cowell, you'd have got Choppy Warburton. He was a manager and trainer of cyclists, who I think had three or four um, world champions on his stable, who was spectacularly undone um, by a drug scandal. He was famous for his little black bag, the uh, little black 
bag from which the bottle of the title of the book came. Um, and he was accused of drugging a cyclist uh, in, in a race um, and was uh, banned from appearing in any British velodromes for the rest of his life. So his, his, his period of huge success was quite short, but it's an extraordinary insight into this period when cycling is bigger than football, it's kind of massive culture, and the stars who were as dirt poor as the Italians um, became spectacular superstars and often then disappeared or died almost overnight. It was a really exciting sport in those days. It is still today, but for different reasons. In those days, cycling was the Formula One. Yeah. Essentially, it's the fastest you can mm. go. Mm. Um, and so people would have just marvelled at the speed of these people. Whereas now, you know, it's about tactics and, and it's all, all kinds of things. But we don't look to cycling to see speed, maybe apart from Mark Cavendish winning <laughs> in a sprint. Um, but it captured a mass audience in this country that, that has since fallen off, right? This country and in France and in the United States, Warburton sort of moved between the three with his, his little roster of stars. Uh, and in fact, and one of the reasons he continues to be well known is that there was a, uh, he was slightly inadvertently drawn by Toulouse-Lautrec. Um, so there is a picture of him with his black bag administering his secret uh, ingredients to one of his riders. Fantastic. Well, now let's turn to the book which doesn't yet exist, but hopefully will exist. And if you're a publisher listening to this programme, then listen up. Carlton, over mm. to you. Well, I publish lots of books on, on cycling and on, on uh, countries like the Lebanon and Israel and what have you. And there is a traditional way of publishing books, which is fine. But now, in this day and age, it's just as easy to get them out there as an ebook, And if you want to get into a, a mass audience, and the, the, the book I'm trying to do, I want to get out there for polemical reasons, not just for um, wanting to make money reasons, wanting to write a book reasons. So the ebook route is going to get me numbers. So the, the Bike to Work book, which I produced, has had in excess of 300,000 reads and downloads. So you can reach a, a very, very big audience. So the book I'm uh, going to be producing by, hopefully by April, is a book that's going to be, hopefully, informing people about the, the road rights of cyclists but with a historical bent. So it, it's about when cycling was actually in the same period as, as Choppy Werberton, in fact, the 1890s, you know, cyclists were responsible for getting the roads surfaced and getting the roads improved. And motorists started doing that from about 1908. Well, cyclists were doing that from the 1880s. So the book is called uh, Roads Were Not Built for Cars, which is a very polemical, uh, headline-y kind of title for a book. But then it's just packed with detail on the amazing political uh, and social influence of cycling of the 1890s and through to about 1905. So what were the roads like before cyclists came along and started to ask for them to be improved? Well, they were local. That's the thing. Roads, you know, when the trains came along, they took away the, the, the coaching trade. So from about the 1840s, for a good you know, generation, two generations, roads were totally unused and they were local. So cyclists and, and all of the motoring authors of the 1940s would say this, we've all lost this now, of course, would say that cyclists were the first uh, group to bring roads into a national perspective. Uh, so in America and in the UK, cyclists pushed for good roads and motorists benefited from that, you know, 10 years 
uh, down the line. And now they've nicked it And they us. nicked it, and they said, you know, like Ford Get out the said, road! In 1924, the Ford Motor Company put out a press release saying, you know, motorists founded the good roads movement. No, they didn't. It was cyclists, okay. and they forgot that. So a bit of telling history as it really happened, not as the uh, AA and the RAC would like you uh, to think that's great. What do you need? Do you need a publisher? No. Or just a load of cash? No, uh, the cash is coming in because I'm okay. selling adverts. It's, a, it's a, a trade mag model. Okay. It's all coming in. All right, great. Well, if you want to find out more, um, I'll put a link so you can get in touch with Carlton and uh, write him a cheque or advertise in his excellent book. Finally, we're running up to the ha- uh, half hour, a children's book. There aren't many children's books about cycling, but this is a good one, and this is called The Boy Who Biked the World, and it's by Alistair Humphreys, who cycled around the world and has has written two adult books about this and has now written a children's equivalent, which is a good read and quite a cheap uh, book. I think would be an excellent stocking filler. Al has done lots of work with schools, so he knows how to tell a story to children, and um, it's a good book. I think it's a fantastic idea to give children something that validates cycling, validates the idea of cycling and says, you know, this is something you might want to do and here's somebody who did something amazing on their bike. Well, we better make make way for One Life Left, who are lurking outside the studio. Thanks to my guests, Tim Dawson, Carlton Reid and Jen, doing sterling job. You're going to read some books over the Christmas holidays, aren't you? Tell us all about them. I am indeed. What's on your list? (laughs) Um, What's on the top of my list? I've just ordered uh, Marco Pantani's Mm. um, book. So that's going to be... A book about him. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, a book about him. Uh, So that'll be my read for my flight back home over the Christmas period. Come back and tell us... More drugs. Indeed. What it's like. (laughs) All right. Thanks all. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. She cooked. I'm reading a book, girl. I'm reading a book. Don't you ever interrupt me while I'm reading a book on the shoulder. I got pulled over. Pigs trying to get me while my window lower. I'm reading a book, pig. I'm reading a book. Don't you ever interrupt me while I'm reading a book. Why all these people always interrupting me? What I gotta do to try to make them say? Well, that was fun. I can't quite believe we got through that long list of books. But um, if you want to find out more about any of the titles that we mentioned, I've listed them all on the Bike Show's website, which is, if you don't know it already, www.thebikeshow.net. And it's definitely worth heading along to Tim Dawson's excellent cycling books website. That's at cyclingbooks.com and he has there not only reviews of books that have just been published but a lot of books from way way back that um, a little bit harder to track down but definitely worthwhile this is the penultimate show 
in 2011 because Resonance will be closing down for its Christmas break from the 18th of December. And that means that next week's is the last show. We're going to be doing a little bit of a look backwards over the cycling year and also a look forwards to 2012. And you can be a part of that by answering the simple question that says follows. What was your best ride in 2011? And what's the ride that you most want to do in 2012? So that's looking back over all of the riding that you've done in 2011. What was your favourite ride? It needn't be anything grand like the Adapted Tour, though it could be. It needn't be winning a race. It could be going down to the shops on a particularly beautiful summer's evening. Or it could be a night ride on a clear, moonlit night. Anyway, whichever ride it is, we want to know. So please send us an email with your name and where you live and tell us the ride that you enjoyed most in 2011 and also the ride that you most want to do in 2012. That's a ride that perhaps you've been planning for a while, a little tour or a place that you've wanted to see by bicycle and haven't had a chance to yet or reacquaint yourself with an old favourite route. Could be doing your first sportive or your first Audax or your first race even. Whatever it is that's the ride that you've got in capital letters planned in your diary for 2012 or even if it's just a loose idea awaiting further development and refinement, please let us know. So that's your best ride in 2011 and the ride that you're most looking forward to in 2012. Send that by email please by next Monday morning that's the 12th of December to the bike show's email address which is bike show at resonancefm.com that's bike show at resonancefm.com and if you send it in by um, Monday morning on the morning of the show next week it'll be sure to feature in the show that evening so thanks for doing that looking forward to reading what you have to say and to sharing it with all the other listeners to the bike show anyway that's it for this week until next week Goodbye.